to the Clients and Conversions Podcast. I'm your host, Danielle Clem, and I've helped fellow entrepreneurs and business owners just like you harness the power of social media to grow your audience by the hundreds, 2x their launch sales, and have client leads banging down the door to book a call with you. And I'm the first to say that hustling and searching hours online for your next client or student is not the vital ingredient to your success or even your happiness. This podcast is for driven entrepreneurs, from coaches to course creators and everything in between, to access practical and actionable tactics on everything from how to get clients with Instagram advertising, and really unlock the keys from sales and social media to get growth with the simplest tools possible, while keeping it just long enough to get you through your walk, drive, or workout. So stick with us for this episode and the ones to come so you can get more clients and sales in less time. Now let's get into it. Now, before we go into the episode, this is sponsored by the Audience Growth Ad Experiment. This is a free guide that I created to really help answer the question of where do I start when it comes to ads, especially around literally where to start. So what I've done is I've actually put to the test Pinterest, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram ads all in a way that has pretty much the same variables that I could to see which one's gonna get you the most bang for your buck, which means the most amount of results, most amount of leads, and audience growth for the least amount of cost out of your budget or wallet. So I broke this down as best as I could. I made it super simple, but so, so, so helpful for those who are wanting to find out how to go about this, what were the actual results, which platform actually did come out on top, and where to start after that. So get your hands on that. It's going to be at danielleclem.com slash ad experiment. Also in the show notes below, such a good place to start. And also so helpful for those who were like me who wondered, okay, are Facebook ads still the best way to go? This will answer that for you. So I'll see you inside the experiment and now let's get started. Hey guys. Today we have on Sahara Rose, who is the best-selling author of the Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda, host of the Highest Self podcast, which is currently number one on iTunes, religion and spirituality podcast, and dubbed by Deepak Chopra as a leading voice for the new generation in this paradigm shift. So yeah, basically she knows her stuff. So welcome to the show, Sara. Oh, I am so excited to be here and so proud of you. Proud mom moment. <laughs> You're, Danielle was on my Dosha's Darm program, became a coach of the Dosha's Darm program, has helped me with my Facebook um, ads mm-hmm. and my Instagram stories and has just been such a light in my life and I'm so honored to be here. You're so kind. And for those who don't know too, she is probably one of the best people to be around, whether it's virtually or online or in person, which we will see each other in October for the Pace to be Brave event. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, it's been interesting. For those who don't know, I created actually a podcast before this, right around the time when we did the Doshas and Dharmas. And then now with this Female Entrepreneur's Journey podcast, it's it's developed into this beautiful space where I'm able to connect with people like you and be able to actually help others. And it's been just a beautiful thing. And I'm so happy that it came up through that first time, through the first round of Doshas and Dharmas. Yes. So it was all meant to be. Yes, exactly. And now that we talked a little bit about me, I guess, let's go back on to you and talk a little bit about your journey and then end with your present and future. So if you would love to start, I'd like to hear a little bit more about how you grew up to kind of what led you to going down this path. Yeah, so... Um, well, growing up, I actually always wanted to be an international human rights lawyer. I always knew I wanted to help people, but I always thought helping people had to be like through going to Africa, like 
building a school or like, you know, I want to be a human shield, which are the people who stand in front of bulldozers when sit like villages are being like plowed down by major corporations. And I was like, I guess I'll be a human shield. So I've always known I want to help people, but didn't know, I mean, never guessed it would be like this. I was a really unhealthy kid growing up. I was overweight, had asthma. Um, so I basically discovered Ayurveda in my own health and healing journey, which I've talked about in a lot of my podcasts, a lot of podcasts. So I won't get so into the Ayurveda stuff, but I want to talk more about the business stuff. So I always thought like, I'm not a business person. I thought that business people are like very like sketchy and masculine. I always had this like idea in my head that like, I'm just going to go out there and save the world and have a husband that like takes care of like the bills. Like that's really what I thought. And that's what I had seen around me. So, um, so I started practicing Ayurveda again to heal myself. And then I just naturally want to share with people. I've always just loved, I've always been a blogger since I was like 20 years old. Um, so I started blogging about it. And then through that, then when I was graduating from college, I was like, okay, well now I have to find a job, but I don't want to do a job. I don't want to spend my day. Like I worked at an ad agency, hated that, worked at an NGO, hated that. So I was like, okay, I, I know I can't, I'm just not meant to be in this cubicle. And every time I would go, I would just believe and just start crying because I just knew so wholeheartedly. I was like, I didn't want to be there, but I looked around. I was like, I don't see any other solutions. So I just, you know, thought, okay, I'm just going to like be a hippie and basically just travel for the rest of my life and like not have to have much money so that I don't have to make much money. Like I, I just want to escape this whole money thing. And I remember like I was in India like a few years ago, it was on New Year's and we all had to like set intentions and stuff. Everyone's like, I want to be more in my heart, like more in my feminine. I'm like, I wish I was more in my masculine. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could make money. But like I thought making money meant selling your soul. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started blogging and then I would just look up, okay, how do I get more traffic to my blog? How do I, what, what does SEO mean? How do I get, how do I use Pinterest? How do I use this? How do I use that? Just to get the message out there more. Yeah. And then I realized if I want to do this full time, I need to figure out a way to just monetize it, at least to just pay for the web hosting and, and the costs that I'm really having from this. Um, so then that brought me into health coaching. I did IIN. I became a health coach. I was working as a health coach for a few years. But even in that, like I just sort of went into it because like with they just taught me how to do it, but I didn't like even like the one on one health coaching setting. I knew I wanted to like create something like bigger, like a movement, like really like affecting. I've always known my soul is more of the cardinal type. We have cardinal and ordinal Mm -hmm. souls and cardinals are like meant to affect like more number of people and ordinal souls. Not that one is better than the other. They just resonate more with the one-on-one. I know Danielle, I've talked to you, you feel more cardinal also. Mm -hmm. So, um, so then through blogging, I, it was still at the point where like people would do ads on their blogs, like, you know, like the old blogs yeah. that have like all the ads <laughs> on the side, but then that sort of started going down. Like, I mean, I was never making anywhere near, I'd make like, a few hundred dollars max. Um, but then that started to even go down. So I was like, okay, like I need to figure out a way to do, do this more. So the first online program I did was four years ago. It was my killing your candida program. And Mm. because I had, I was diagnosed essentially with candida, which is the yeast overgrowth. Mm. And at first I was mortified because it's like kind of an embarrassing thing, but I was like, okay, I'm going to have to take all these herbs, follow the specific diet, do all these things. So let me walk other people through it. So I put together like a four week meal plan and all the herbs. And then I did it as a, I, I was so overwhelmed by all it takes to put together a course that I decided I would just do it as a live thing. Mm, Yeah. 
webinars live and um, e all through email. There was no, there was no member login, nothing. It was all through email and I made it affordable. I made it $99 for, for the four weeks. Um, and I was surprised. I got like 40 people who signed up $4,000. It was the most money I had ever made in my whole entire life. I was like, Oh my God, if I could keep this up $4,000 a month, like yeah. I'm good for the rest of my life, you know? Um, again, like I never had like money goals. I was like, just enough for me to like live. I'm like, okay. Um, so, but then I realized like it's hard, you know, with pro I've learned so much that with programs, what gets people to sign up is like the fact that it's going on like this specific time. It's not going to, if I just have it going on all the time, it's not going to have the same, you know, impact. Mm -hmm. So then I made my um, eat right for your mind body type course, which is the opposite. It's a totally like you can start whenever you want automated course. And I put over a year into making that like I made so many videos, so many meal plans, so many things like that. And then no one bought it. I was like, OK, like I'm obviously seeing that time sensitivity is a huge thing in online business, but there's so much like good stuff in it. So I've just learned I've, it's really all that I've learned about business is just like to figure it out on my own. And then once I figure it out, I'm like, okay, let me like help people about this problem and that. And now I did the doshas and Dharma course, which this time we had like, I don't oh even my goodness. Know, like, I think like 135 people mm -hmm. signed up and it's yeah. like a 399 course. Um, and I, I hired coaches like the, who are the former students. So you and Allison and Lizette and, um, also did live calls and that was amazing. And what actually was the most amazing part that everyone agreed was the community. Yeah. It was like how involved everyone was. So now I really see myself as like someone who like creates communities and like brings people together. And I don't want it. I've never wanted it to be like this, like monologue of like, blah, 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 blah. I want it to be like, okay, you have wisdom to share you have wisdom to share how can you guys help and support each other yes I love this part too because I think what's really interesting is that a lot of people might not know that you used to be a health coach and what I find so interesting about that knowing you I could never see you as a health coach now <laughs> <laughs> just because your personality it's not meant to be on one you know one-on-one -on -one or you know with one client each time that's not how you're supposed to be and I think what's really beautiful about that is when you honor that and you start to shift then the things come in through intuition, through knowledge that you're just noticing that, okay, this isn't the right place for me and let me shift and see what happens. I think what's great about that too in this new online space is that although there are some like marketing rules, kind of like time sensitivity, that's do help for the most part it's your playing field like as long as you look towards what you want to do that's really all that matters and I find that when I first started out being a coach or a designer whenever whatever title I was at that time as we all go through so many titles throughout the first couple of years that what happened is everyone was saying you have to do one-to-ones they're the most lucrative which they can be but if it doesn't feel right for you there's no point in going forward with it you'll just be more miserable Mm -hmm. Totally. Yes. And I, and I mean, I think that everyone honestly, who wants to be like work with groups should start one-on-one -on -one because if it wasn't for that time, I wouldn't know how to hold the space. How could I hold the space on 130 people spilling out their guts if I couldn't do it with a one-on-one? -on -one? So a lot of times I see people, they like jump the gun and they're like, I want to do these like massive events with like 700 people in an audience nope. and they haven't talked to, you know, you have to do a thousand events with just small groups, small groups, podcasts, this, that go anywhere you can to like, even just learn to, cause even if you were given an opportunity to speak in front of a stage of 700, 
700 people. Yes, you could do it, but would it be the maximum um, capacity that you have? No. So I think it's very valuable to take that path, to start one-on-one, to start somewhere. And then naturally your body will tell you like, is this right for me or is this not? Some people I know who are huge, they speak on mega stages. They still love doing the one-on-one work. Why? They have more kapha in them. They love to connect with people and that actually keeps them really grounded on their feet. Whereas other people, like I remember I would pray to God my clients would cancel before. Like that's (laughs) not the kind of health coach. I'm like, please cancel, please cancel. After I did it, I would always enjoy it, but it was like the moments before I would like not want to because during that time I could have created content that would have, you know, affected more people. And that's just what excited me more. Yeah, I love that part too. And for those who might not know, when you first made that shift over into the online space or the entrepreneur space, I think one of the really great parts about this podcast that I try and do is to give all angles. So I'd love to know, even though you've mentioned it on your podcast before, how your family kind of altered once you started to move into this more online space, this more um, not off the beaten path type of thing? Yeah. So, I mean, my family was really fearful of my decision to like try to be a blogger um, because obviously they had never heard of professional bloggers or freelancers and stuff. And they had never heard of Ayurveda. So they were very against it. They were really pushing me to go get a, like a job. They were really pushing me to become a real estate agent. For some reason, that was like the job they really wanted me to have because they, they were like, well, you can blog on the side of like between selling houses. And, you know, and it's interesting because like when I first moved to LA, even though I was writing my book, I still was like studying for the real estate test because I was like, I don't know what's going to happen when this book comes out. A book advance is not a lot of money. Um, and if it, if I don't figure out ways to make money around this, like I'm gonna, and I know a lot of people who are big authors, guys, like big authors who have nine to five jobs because your book is not what's going to make you money. It's the programs that you build around it. So, um, once I finally figured it out through trial and error, through, you know, making money through one-on-one coaching to the candida program, to the eat right program, to the doshas and dharma program. I'm also affiliates for programs. Then they were like, okay, like now we see that this is your full-time job and they respect it and they're proud of me. Um, but really it took at least for them. And I think a lot of our parents who come from that, like more baby boomer generation, it's like, show me the money. If you're making money doing it, then I'll believe you. Yes. I think that's something that's really still slowly, shifting nowadays still prominent and you know our parent generation thankfully slowly kind of cutting out through ours but what I found is very interesting with your story is that although all of these things came up I mean you went into I think in uh, one of your older podcasts talking about your story and like the part one and part two aspect of it mm-hmm. is that you know they it was them trying to be out of good intentions but when you're seeing it from the opposite side, it's hard to really view that. And when you're first starting out in your own business, because that's already a huge endeavor to have on top of that, kind of having to be the support for yourself rather than support from usually friends or family who will give you some some form of it, you really had to stay true into who you are and really believe in what you do. And I find that when it comes to seeing you from where you're at now, which I want to tell a lot of people who are just starting out, we don't start out this way. We don't start out with just automatically thinking, okay, I'm going to have five different revenue streams, although you should sooner or later start developing those affiliates. I think what happens a lot of the time is when we have our you know, friends or family tell us, oh, well, maybe you should be uh, working for someone else or maybe you know, I want the best for you, so why don't you work here, is to really stay true and see what feels right to you versus going into thinking those um, ego or kind of those doubt 
thoughts that we always have. Sometimes it'll pop up making, oh, well, maybe this isn't right for me. Maybe I shouldn't go down this space. When in reality, it's actually even more fuel to fire to say, I should, because why not? I, I am who I am. I have a voice. I need to use it. Mm, totally. Yes. And, you know, in a spiritual philosophy, your parents, you chose your parents mm -hmm. and they will give you the experiences that you needed for your soul's highest involvement. So while in, when I was going through that, I was like, I wish they were supportive of me. I see all these other parents and they're so supportive and their kids call them every day and they tell them, great job. You got this. We want to give you the full freedom. I was like, why couldn't I have just picked one of those families? Like <laughs> yeah. I want a hippie mom. Um, but now I see that them you know, the people that you grew up, like looking up to listening to, like, I always had a very close relationship with my mom, I would tell her everything. And like, suddenly, like when that person is, is like, feels like your arch nemesis, and like, doesn't want you to be happy, then that makes you really go inwards. And then through that, I realized that my whole life, like, I was always the smartest student, always getting good grades, this, that, why it was actually coming from wanting to please my parents. And when I had to eventually face a crossroads of, okay, I'm either going to please myself or please my parents. And it looks like this isn't, isn't going to be both. Um, I had to eventually, and it took a long time to choose myself. And I went through months of really not speaking with them. And it was a really tumultuous relationship. But if I hadn't gone through that, I wouldn't have been as strong as I am today. And I definitely would not be interested in entrepreneurship because entrepreneurship does require that pitta more fiery energy. And if I was just like, everything flows naturally to me and I've never had a struggle in my life, then I, I, there's no way I would be able to show up in this way. So it's, it's hard to be grateful for it in the time, but when you look back on it, it all makes sense. Well, the interesting part too, is just from the beginning of this episode for you saying you're a big mama, you actually fulfilled that in yourself because you had to kind of go through that part where you're just fulfilling a love that you kind of weren't or the support you weren't able to get. So it's interesting to see that full circle from now going through all of that. And your parents are now mostly, I'm assuming, on board with everything. But also, you put that into yourself. You're now being a big mama for other people, for almost 135 other women in that program, let alone your followers and your audience. So I want to commend you also for being able to step up for yourself and fulfill the role that might not have been there for a little bit. Oh, for sure. I think that that's what we do in life. We see what wasn't around us and then we step into that. At least that's what, what, that's what involvement looks like. Yes. I think even when it came to both my mom and stepmom passing away before I graduated high school, it left this aspect of me that I became the, what I would call therapist for my friend group and those type of things that, you know, naturally come up when you don't have it for yourself, you give out to others. And I think that in entrepreneurship or for small business, that's really important to know what you're trying to give out or what you need. Because what happens a lot of times, which almost happened to me, honestly, was I was going so much at, I'm a, I obviously had the pitta in me, so I was going 110 speed when I wasn't giving myself enough of self-care, whatever I needed at that time. So I'd love to also talk to you because you just talked about this on your Instagram a couple weeks ago about the um, create more, do less. I think it was, was kind of like the phrase. And I'd love to hear kind of what was that moment for you when it shifted? Yeah. So, you know, we're always shedding layers and 
facing dilemmas that are really just lessons to make us further into our own truth. And the lesson that has been showing up for me this summer ha- was really about the amount of time I spent in I spend in responsive mode. So that could look like getting up in the morning and responding to emails, then posting on emails on Instagram and responding to the comments and then responding to the DMs and then responding to the YouTube comments and the Facebook messages and then the people in my groups and this and that. And I was like, holy shit, I spend like of my um, working time, like 90% of my time in responsive mode. And then finally, when it's like seven o'clock at night and I've like, feel like I've responded to everything, it's time to create, Mm -hmm. but I'm not in that space because all I've been doing is putting out fires all day. And that doesn't really feel like creative Shakti energy. So I realized that I, you know, the world is not going to change. In fact, it's going to get more people messaging me and more, especially if, if I want to grow, I have, I can't say I want people to stop emailing me. Like that's not going to change. I have to change. So I really kind of started to look at areas in my life and how much time do I spend doing things? So I realized like my phone is a very big, big distraction in my life. And, you know, I wake up, go on the phone and then I'm like making my tea. And while the tea is boiling, I'm on my phone that I'm waiting for the elevator. I'm waiting for the red light to turn green. I'm waiting for this, that every pause moment that could have been a sacred space of reflection. I am distracting myself by going on my phone and I don't believe it's distraction because I believe it's my work. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, if I want to create books and amazing podcast episodes and the things that people are even emailing me about, I can't stay here. I'm going to remain stagnant and, and stuck. So I like had to, you know, create these boundaries and create these rules. And I like put on my, um, on my Instagram story, cause I used to respond to all the DMS and it would take me a few hours a day. Yeah. And I was like, guys, I'm, I can't respond to DMS anymore. Like on my website, you're going to find a fax section you're going to find everything that you need. Like it's all there. And I talk about different things in my podcast and there's like a thing on my podcast. If you have a question for me there, you can send it there. But I, you know, received the same question over and over again, or very specific personal questions. So I put on my website, I don't answer personal questions anymore. So I really set that, um, that expectation out. So that would remove the guilt. Because when I sank deeper into why do I feel like I need to respond to everyone? Why do I feel so frustrated with all of the messages and things coming my way? It was really because I felt guilt and I felt guilt that if I don't respond to them, then they're not going to be healthy or happy, or they're going to be mad, or I'm not going to come off as a nice person or whatever it is that a lot of us, you know, women healers, helpers, teachers, we, we put on ourselves. So did a lot of work of just dropping the guilt and stepping more into my own truth and authentic power. And then realizing like the people who are messaging you on Instagram, this questions every single day, but are never going to sign up for your program. They're never going to be your client They They suddenly don't have money, but they do have the time to message you 20 times a day. That's that's not time well spent. Like spend your energy on the people who are supporting what you're doing, who are your clients, who are your students or who genuinely care. But on on social media, there tends to be this like almost um, like expectation that you can ask anything to anyone and instantly they're going to respond to you. And it's an expectation that we've all put upon ourselves because we have been the responders too, as mm-hmm. much as we've asked the questions and it's not a healthy one. And we've never lived in a day and age that there have been so many inboxes 
emails, social media accounts, and so many things to respond to. And if we if we really believe that us being a good person is responding to all of the things, we're just going to get stuck. Yeah, and I think what's really great about this too, which I I found out for myself, was I was having some trouble with Skype a couple of days ago, and there were so many points of contact that I could have with this one person, it was almost even harder to get a hold of them, because should you use email, should you use Facebook Messenger, should you use Instagram, or um, dare at the phone, you know, there's just so many ways that I think it can almost be a sensory overload for us. For sure. And, and then the thing is, it's like, then when it comes to like meeting in person, then like suddenly like no one wants to come. Like I'm so passionate about doing so many more live events because I feel like when you connect with people live, they feel your energy, you feel theirs. Like that's where real growth happens. And I see this happen all the time. A lot of people now are like bowing out of live events because they're like, oh, well, I'll just like watch it on YouTube later, but it's so not the same effect. So I think we need to like come together and gather more as tribes, as sisters, as partners. And that's just that that frequency the not not going to the event even for the speaker but going to the event for the other people you'll meet there I think that's where the real magic happens oh definitely I think what was really interesting is that I've only gone to two I think two events this year both of them being in San Diego the pace to be brave and then one for social media marketing in March and I found that without that instance of community without going there I would not have been able to have the lessons that I had there I would not be able to have the learning aha moments because when you're there, you're present. And nowadays, there's not many things that we actually allow ourselves to be fully present for. So when you invest in that speaker, invest in that event to go to it, you allow yourself for the most part to be there fully. And that's when, like you said, the transformations come. So I think this is a really great point too. talk a little bit more about conscious entrepreneurship and kind of what's your take on it and how you put it into your business. Yeah. So I think conscious entrepreneurship is looking at your business as a tool to one, help society, but also help you expand into your highest self. So, you know, the former entrepreneurship of like the early nineties or whatever is like, just make the most amount of money. Right. Mm -hmm. And entrepreneurs were known for burning themselves out and being on, on guard all the time. And as a society, we've really applauded that. But I think conscious entrepreneurship is seeing that your business is an extension of you, but it's also not just you. You you are a multifaceted human being and you are more than than just the work that you do, but the work that you do is is also real a really important part because when we oftentimes like compartmentalize, which a lot of times people do if they like have a 9 to 5 job has nothing to do with what they love, you begin to compartmentalize life. So I think that it's important to be like, yes, I love teaching women, I love this, I love that, but it doesn't mean that it's all I'm going to do. I'm still going to work on myself, still live a normal life, have healthy relationships, um, et cetera. So I think it's like looking at, at business from a holistic point of view and also seeing that the way that you live your life, the foods you eat, the exercises you do, meditation practices, these are also going to affect your business. Like if you have a boyfriend or husband or whatever, and you're fighting, like you're not going to create your best content that day. So much of what we have going on at home is going to affect our business. So we can't expect that once we're in the office, we're not going to take, take any of home with us. A lot of us work from home. Like we're literally there. It's integrative. Mm -hmm. So the same way that we're looking at has health as an integrative thing. I think we need to look at business that way. Yeah. I think this is a really important note and something that takes almost some time to get super close to that burnout to really see 
how true this is because I found that when I was in Thailand that that was one of the things that came up for me. I was so wrapped up in my business, I forgot about myself as a person. And although we are personal brands for the most part for Instagram, there was parts that I wasn't showing. Like for example, that I can be intuitive, that I'm literally holding a crystal in my left hand right now, but I have those parts of myself. And I wasn't infusing that in my business enough. And I finally realized that to really show up fully for yourself or to really get the success you want, you can't really hide those parts, the parts that you think that, oh, people might not want. They might want you even more because of those. And mm. I think what's great about this time that we're in too is authenticity is often what we're craving more because we see so many ads, so much uh, fakeness, so much uh, done up, you know, glam makeup, all these type of things so often that when we see someone with no makeup on or talking about something real or talking about how they're still a person, like they actually go off to go to dinner or to lunch with a friend while they had calls earlier. We crave that because we know it's true for us. We just haven't allowed ourselves to get there or see that there is a different way than working, you know, 20 hours a day or working whatever we need to. And I think that it needs to be a topic that's talked about more is about creating like your ideal week or creating your hours. Because as you know, as entrepreneurs, we can work till the night's end or to the morning because we're passionate. However, that passion can often lead to burnout. Hence, they're both in that fire essence. And I found that you know, it's great to be in this space and it's great to be able to put out content, but if you don't fill up your cup and if you don't, like you said, add those parts of your personal life back in, you won't be a person anymore by the end of it. Exactly. And, and also with, with that, like authenticity on social media, but also like what came up for me in Bali is like, we sometimes even take that authenticity to too much of a level too, which mm -hmm. I've seen. Like, there's it's this happy medium like I feel like we before it was like social media was like really like curated or just like pictures of your food and then people started posting pictures of themselves their lives and people liked it but now it's almost turned into this competition of like who can be the most vulnerable like who can show the most like odd dropping thing that no one would ever share with their friends let alone on their Instagram account like I've been in situations that I put things on my Instagram because for some reason I feel like only like five people watch them and then like my publisher is like why'd you say that? or like this I'm like like you know my fiance's mm -hmm. mom is looking at everything I post and I don't we don't realize that we sometimes think that it's this like small personal world but it's like a shit ton of strangers too so that's a, a big realization I've had is like be authentic but also keep it related to your brand you don't need to show everything that you are doing show the authenticity related to that thing that you are focusing on yeah, and the great thing about this too, which you might have met, uh, learned from Jenna Kutcher as well, she talks about, she calls the Jenna Kutcher Five, which are five categories in your life that you feel okay with sharing about that also lead into your brand. So for example, if you're a lover of books, that can lead into your brand, talk about books and, you know, show about books. You don't have to show waking up from morning to end because even I don't do that. I would rather not do that. But having those parts of yourself that relate to your business and relate to how it can help others is really the key way takeaway of what you should be doing so if you feel like if you're trying to post pictures about your food please stop I hate seeing pictures of people's food unless you're a food blogger or something in that space because not many people want that they want to be able to see you but they want to see you when you're feeling your best not when you're feeling um, like you have to post something because I think as you might have seen too you can kind of see when people feel like they're forced to try on things like forced to do a live or forced to do it, the energy feels off. Totally. Yes. And, you know, I'm such a big fan of like 
have an idea of what you're going to post beforehand. Like I start when I went to, before I went to Bali, I used to like be one of those people, like, especially last year that it would be like 4 PM. I'm like, Oh my God, I haven't posted on Instagram today. Like, let me scroll through all my pictures and like, just look for something to post. And then I would just end up reposting things all the time, posting a quote, whatever I saw, random shit. And then my whole Instagram just became reposts of other people's content. So I think create your own content, create your own quotes, create your own brand. Like, yes, you can repost other people's quotes and stuff, but like, there's no point of building an Instagram following when it has nothing to do with you and nothing to do with your business. Because guys, the reason why we're here also using Instagram as a tool for business is because we wanted to lead somewhere. And I see so many people that are afraid of mentioning their business, mentioning their services on their Instagram because they're afraid people will unfollow them. Well, what is the point of a bunch of followers who are never going to lead to your business? Yes, this is something that I've been having to talk about more. I'm actually doing a podcast on after this um, called Intentional Storytelling because I think what happens a lot of the time is that we get into this space, and especially for those who are, you know, interested in spirituality, we come from a place of wanting to impact others, trying to help others, but never feel like we're burdening them or being salesy or pushy. But the thing is, if someone's, you know, praying for help or wanting help, they won't know about you unless you actually tell them what you do. And probably more than once, because let's be honest, if you think about the last two purchases you've made, how many times did it take to see that person or see that brand or product until you actually bought from them? Totally. Yes. And like, you know, and I think what happens a lot of times with, with social media is like, you might be following someone and have literally no idea what they do. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's okay. But if anyone's listening to this podcast, you obviously want people to know what you do. So for sure, intentional storytelling, bring it down to, okay, let's say your brand is, you're like a graphic designer. You can talk about a time that like you went to the store and it was like branded like this and you walked in, it was a sex store and you wouldn't have known because of the branding. I don't know, like something funny, funny like that, that like makes sense and has to do with your brand. You can share it. Like, for example, I just got engaged. I'm going to share that. But like now, if the only thing I'm going to post about are wedding dresses, people are going to be like, okay, this is just a straight up different account now, unless I created a, a wedding dress company or something. Yes, exactly. And I think what's really great about that, too, is I have a friend who was a website designer, and she went to the Jack Daniels um, warehouse and actually posted about stuff like that, about their brand. Because the thing is, is that we can always honestly relate things into our business about our personal life, but it's really about seeing what would help our audience the most. Because I think what happens also is that we get into the space thinking that People must think my life is interesting all the time, so I'll just post everything, when in reality, people like consistency. So if you're talking about, like, for example, I'm training for a fight in December, I'll be doing posts about that or doing stories about that. I wouldn't try and go talk about, oh, I'm going to also go into uh, riding hot air balloons or stuff like that because it doesn't make sense to them. Our brain likes that similar. They like connections. That's how that's how we work. That's how our brains and how we honestly make up relationships is through connections. So I think what's really great about what you said is that as long as you relate it back to what you do, as long as people still remember you like, oh, I just know that she got engaged. I'll most likely see pictures of stuff like that, but I still expect her to post pictures about health and about entrepreneurship and about her podcast, those type of things. Right, exactly. Yeah, and I think that one of the best things I think I love doing when it comes to my podcast is also hearing for any of my guests talk about what would you tell yourself just starting out? Like if you were to go back a couple of years, what would be the one or two things that you tell yourself going forward? Starting my, when I started my podcast or starting um, just business stuff? Starting business stuff. Mm, 
Yeah, I mean, I think everything went exactly as it was meant to. There was nothing I could have skipped. So, you know, keep following the breadcrumbs, like stay curious. I'm very grateful for the amount of time that I spent researching the tech stuff that I couldn't hire anyone for, like all these things that I didn't want to do. And I was like, oh, I wish I had someone to help me with. I'm so glad that I did that because now I can like rely on myself to like make a sales page or create this graphic or whatever I need. It's not my full-time job. I still um, don't want to be a graphic designer by any means, but um, I think that the struggles at the beginning are what make you like a multi-dimensional player in the game. And then when something happens, you're able to solve it and you're able to, you know, move way faster and not have to depend on anyone else. Cause I think that this is what happens. Like I see so many friends who are like amazing healers and shamans, this, that they have no idea about the tech stuff, no idea about the business stuff. So they rely on other people and they get on, un- they end up getting screwed over a lot. Mm-hmm. See this happen all the time. They were going to plan it event, the person flaked, the person took the monies, the person charged them $3,000 to make one change on their website. And they don't know what, how much these things cost because they haven't put the time into researching it. So I think it's really important to have like a technical handle on your business because it's like, if you own a house and you have no idea, like how to like fix if the mirror falls or something like you, we just need to know these basic housekeeping things. If you want to be an online business. Yes, I 100% agree when it comes to those first parts, like creating a website or doing these type of things, like learning how to email, you know, do email marketing. The thing is, you can always be taught it, but you should be able to know some type of way of learning it. So when you get into it, once you outsource it later on down the road, you know what to look for versus feeling like, okay, I'm just going to outsource it all at once or I'm not going to do it at all. It's, It's definitely not the best way of going about it. I know people have done it. I wouldn't recommend it. And I think what's great about what you're mentioning too is that there, each piece leads us to that end result. It leads us to that end that we're looking for. However, if we don't take the time to actually invest in ourselves, not even monetarily, but just time-wise, we're not going to be able to get there. Exactly. And like, I think we've also gotten too obsessed with outsourcing, like outsource this, outsource that. Like yeah. people, if, if you, if let's say your email newsletter, I know a lot of people outsource that. It's going to sound, it's not going to sound like you. It's going to sound like a fucking bulletin board. No one wants an email of like the highlights of like all the things like this, that it's like, no, I want to hear a story. Like I want to hear from you, like what's happening with you this week. Those are the emails that do best. And, you know, I think we were just talking about this, like now on Gmail, they put in the promotions tab. If you have too many links, Mm -hmm. too many pictures, buttons, all of these things that we were like taught to do for email marketing, they're actually now penalized. And the emails that get opened and I see, I totally changed my email style. I just write a story each week. I just write a story. And then at the end I'm, I'm like, Oh, by the way, I'm, I'm doing this. And here's the link for that. Instead of like bombarding them with like all of this information that they, they wouldn't have even opened. So I think we need to like stop trying to outsource everything to make it easier and really put more personality and intention in the things we're doing. And that's actually going to help us way more in our business. Yes. I think what's really great about this new space now too, is honestly, I, I understand. Uh, I used to actually know some copywriters who, you know, helped write for others. But what I found is no matter if you're the best copywriter in the world, what happens when someone comes back to you and says, Oh, I love what you mentioned in that email and you have no idea what happened. You know, so it's kind of one of those things where when it comes to outsourcing, 
I believe in having your time for yourself so you can really figure out what feels right to you, find whatever is your zone of genius in that respect, and then maybe have one or two people max doing the things that either take up too much time or that, you know, feel like you just don't have the time for, but that's later down the road because when you're first starting out, I'd rather you know each area of what you're supposed to do so that when you grow and you learn and see what feels right to you, you have a better idea on where each hand has been rather than wondering, okay, this person's doing my ads, this person's doing my email, what what am I really paying them for? What results am I looking for? Exactly. Totally. And and that's what we need. And I think we also overestimate like how long these things have to take. Like we text our friends novels about mm-hmm. our lives every day, writing, people don't want a super long email, writing a few paragraphs on like, this is what I'm going on. This is what, what I'm doing in my business. Like, cool. It literally could take you 30 minutes a week and it would make such a big difference in your business. Yes, and I still believe this to this day, no matter how many social media posts or how many followers we have on there, with email marketing, if social media goes down, if it goes block, you still have that list. So I love what you do still because although you have a big following on Instagram, you still each week go into a newsletter. Each week you still bring value into that part of your business rather than thinking, okay, I'm going to stake my whole business on Instagram and see what happens, which is a terrible way of going about it. Oh, for sure. I mean, even look at how much Instagram has changed in the past like few years. Like now it's like people are are posting way less on the feed than ever before. It's like people post once every few days oftentimes mm-hmm. now. And now it's all about the story and now it's IGTV. I don't know. And then soon this app's not even going to be relevant anymore. So I think it's still important to like keep bringing people to your email list because it's something that can't disappear or at least unless like the world ends. Yes, exactly. Unless there's an apocalypse that comes up soon, which who knows, but for the most part, we're going to be okay for a while. Yeah, exactly. And now that we talked a little bit about the past, I'd love to go into a little bit of the present and let the listeners know kind of what you've been currently working on to give them a little taste on what they can look out for. Yeah, so I just finished writing a book on Ayurveda and entrepreneurship. And I've been saying the word Ayurveda a lot. You're probably like, what the fuck's Ayurveda? Um, Ayurveda is the world's oldest health system. Um, but more than just a health system, it is a system of mind-body balance. And it's based off of like really knowing yourself. So eating the right foods for your body type, exercising, self-care practices. I've written a few books about that, The Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda. I have a new book coming out in October called Eat, Feel Fresh, which is a modernized plant-based Ayurveda cookbook all shot in India, but the book that I just finished writing, which is going to be out next year, sees the doshas, these types, like these archetypes and how they are in business and looking at the business creation process as something that moves through the vata, the brainstorming process, the pitta, the action, and the kapha, the reevaluation, and then from the reevaluation, we move back into the vata. So it's like looking at all sorts of businesses and where they are. For example, a Vata business is like Converse and like they're all about like the brand and like looking cool and like the story and it has this quirky type of personality. Pitta business, like CrossFit, it's like get it done, in and out. They they still like purposely choose like a garage because they want it to look really like homey and authentic and they were, you know, it's the fastest growing fitness chain in the world um, and they could have created 
products and supplements and protein powders and they still say no. So Pitta is very much about like becoming the best at what you're doing and staying in your own lane. And Kafa, it's like Starbucks. It's like, what do you want to order? Like, we are going to cater it exactly to you. Like whatever you want, like sit down, be comfortable, bring your friend, let's play nice music. Like that's very Kafa. So it's learning about what kind of entrepreneur you are, what, what sort of people your audience is, how do you create content for that? And so looking at business from this like ancient perspective and how it's just so relevant today. And I honestly can't wait for that book to come out. I'm happy. I love the title, Seize the Dosha. I remember you having some kind of questions about that. And I love that the most. It seems it seems the best for that. Okay, awesome. <laughs> but I want to say too, for those who are listening, if you want to hear more about the Dochas, which I really recommend you do, because I feel like I learned more about myself through them, you can find her practically everywhere at I am Sarah Rose. And I'll put that in the show notes below. But I want to say too, for those who are wondering about kind of how you got to your name now for the I am Sahara Rose. I love asking one of the last questions being about your branding and kind of like what shifted from the beginning of your business to now. So I'd love to hear or the, and the listeners would love to hear too is kind of what came from the start of your business name, which some people might not know was Eat Feel Fresh to then moving into the I am Sahara Rose. Yeah. So um, I started blogging as Eat Feel Fresh because I just was like looking for a random blog name. It popped up in my mind and I was doing it and it was, I was not part of the brand. I was very much hidden behind the food. So, um, and then as I started morphing spiritually, I started to incorporate more spirituality things. And then I was like, just not posting about food at all, but it was still called eat, feel fresh. So I was like, okay, it feels very weird that the brand's called eat, feel fresh, and I'm not posting about food. So then I almost felt like this obligation of like needing to post about food because of my name. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then last May, I and I only changed it to Sahara Rose last May, and I've been blogging as Eat Feel Fresh for seven years. But last May, it was like my book was going to come out in August, and I knew that like if I don't change this name now, I'm never going to be able to, because once the book comes out, I'm going to have a lot more eyes coming my way. It's going to be too confusing. So I was like, okay, it's like literally now or never, but I was so scared of like, what if people don't find me anymore? Or, you know, the back of my book, the first 13,000 copies of that book has find me at eat, feel fresh on the back as my social media handle. I'm like, shit, they're going to go and they're not going to find me. So I just decided, you know, I'm going to just go for it and they'll find me. So I just changed my name from Eat Feel Fresh to I Am Sahara Rose. And then I made another Instagram, which I then called Eat Feel Fresh, which basically just has graphics saying I have moved to I Am Sahara Rose. And I just did it overnight. And then I made a post basically being like, listen, guys, like, don't really feel like talking about food anymore. This has been something that's been going on for a long time and I just want to be myself and I don't want to hide behind the name of a brand. Um, and I'm going to show you more aspects of my personality and this is where it's going to change. And I thought like people are going to be like, boo, like you suck. But most people were like, yeah, like we want to see all of the other stuff. Um, it was so interesting because before I changed it, even some followers were like, you know, your name shouldn't even be Eat Feel Fresh because you share so many other things. And changing to, and the name Sahara Rose on Instagram was taken. So I had to do I am Sahara Rose, but you know, nothing's a coincidence. And I believe that that name was taken for me to choose. It's taken by a dog, by the way. It's like a dog <laughs> with one follower. <laughs> but I believe that the universe created this circumstance because because it's really owning up and saying like, yes, I am Sahara Rose. Like this is who I am and like fully owning and embodying that, which has like, you know, been like a major life lesson for me, always the solar plexus stepping up into full truth and full embodiment. And I 
like the only thing I'm like, why didn't I just do that sooner? It was so not a big deal. So guys, if you're listening and your, your Instagram, your blog name is like kitty friend forever, or like something like that. And it could be an awesome name. Um, if you want to be a personal brand, you want to be someone who's known for you. I recommend changing it to your name. And if your name is taken, do I am, or do like, I don't know, I wouldn't add a bunch of numbers to it. Maybe do some like underscores or something, figure something out. But it felt so much more expansive because I could just show up as myself. Yes. And I really believe that when it comes to pivoting, you can, I think you should be pivoting more towards yourself, not farther away from it. So I love that when you first start out, it's very easy to get kind of hide under the name or kind of the veil behind what you're actually blogging about or posting about. But even for myself, when I first started, I was Danielle Marie Creative and I think it was last um, December or something like that, I decided to go into Danielle Clem and same thing with you. Mine was taken. So I had to be, I am Danielle Clem. And I think there is something truly powerful about stepping up with yourself. Even if it's on social media, you're making that conscious choice to be yourself and to put yourself out there rather than feeling like, okay, I'm going to stick behind this name or behind these pictures or behind this color and think it's going to be okay. When in reality, people want to see that part of you, the parts that talk about different things, not just food or not just whatever it might be for you. Mm, Totally. Exactly. Yeah. Well, this has been a amazing podcast and I love talking to you each time, but I think listeners love you even more. So thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure. Yes. And for anyone else who wants to find her again, she's at I am Zahara Rose where all of her podcasts and website and all the fun stuff is at. And I will talk to you guys all in the next episode. Bye guys. Thanks for today's episode. I am so excited that you were able to go through it and get some actionable tips out of it. For next steps, make sure you go to daniellecleum.com slash ad breakdown to get the complete ad breakdown around what one Insta ad did to help create 559 client leads and 20% sales increase in launch. Make sure to go ahead there to do that and DM me at I'm Danielle Clem to go in deeper to the conversation. And last but not least, make sure to leave a rating and review so that this podcast can get out to more amazing people like yourself.